Well, welcome to the fall. Has this been an awesome week? Are you excited about the week? Things are starting. I see all these back-to-school pictures that people are posting on Facebook. Parents dancing through parking lots because their house is now empty. And it's exciting, right? The fall has started. We're here at church thinking about all the different ministry things that are starting. I love the fall. And I always like to take a little bit of an opportunity here at the start of September and usually at the start of, of January to kind of remember, I think for myself, but for us as a community, what we're all about as a church. Kind of what, what's our heart? Uh, where are we going? Why do we do what we do? So to get us on the same page, let me ask the question. What is the most dangerous animal on earth? <laughs> Humans. That was the first thing said in the first service, too. Yeah. How about non, non-human? How about the lion? Anyone want to tackle that puppy? No, but it's not the dang- most dangerous. How about the crocodile? The wolverine. Oh, right, yeah. I don't want to mess with those either. But dangerous, but not the most dangerous, right? How about, uh, how about the Cape buffalo? Apparently they'll hunt you. They're so smart. They can hunt humans. <laughs> What about snakes? Anyone? Responsible for 50,000 plus deaths in the world every year. Very, very dangerous. But they're not the most dangerous. What is the most dangerous animal on earth? The mosquito. Now, some of you are going to cry foul right now and say, mosquito's not an animal. Maybe that was a little bit of misdirection because if I said insect, this wouldn't be any fun at all. But it's the mosquito. Now, I know that for most of us where we live, The mosquitoes are kind of a springtime, summertime nuisance. But most of us know that the mosquitoes, diseases that the mosquitoes carry, are responsible for killing hundreds of thousands, even millions of people every year. Diseases that these little beggars spread reads kind of like a horror film. Malaria, uh, what else we've got? West Nile, dengue fever, yellow fever, uh, various forms of encephalitis, uh, chikungunya. Get someone else to explain what that is. And, of course, the Zika virus, which we've been hearing a lot about. And we declare war on these mosquitoes, right? We've done everything we can. We spray. We hide from them. We we, we buy cool little things and trap them. We scorch them. We drain their habitats. We do everything we can to annihilate them. But on a hot, muggy summer's night, you shut out the light, and what's the first thing you hear? There's a mosquito that has escaped. My very worst experience with mosquitoes happened in Rainbow Lake, Alberta. I was working for an oil field company, and we, were, we would treat these uh, ponds, and when they were safe, uh, we would pump them out in the bush. And so imagine this. We're laying pipe out in a bush on a hot, muggy summer's day. I think you know where this is going. So <laughs> we get out there, and I don't know if they didn't notice us right off the bat or what. But we're a little ways out in the bush laying pipe, and all of a sudden, something happened. And we couldn't swat hard enough, yell loud enough, get them. We were, we were running, screaming like little girls out of the bush. And I think several pounds lighter, not just because of the blood that was sucked, but if you have that many flying insects that are a hold of you, you do almost fly. So we flew out of the bush. And yelling and screaming, I kid you not, jumped into our trucks, went to town for something far more powerful than we had carried before. You know, do you have anything with 90% heat in it? Uh, you know, or screens or something. 
We've done everything we can, right, to swat out the mosquito. But the latest scheme to stop the mosquito might be the craziest of them all and also might be the the most controversial. Anyone read this article in the August National Geographic? Anyone read that? Maybe you saw a TED Talk. Uh, There's a TED Talk on this as well on the the CRISPR uh, technology. Get this. Geneticists have managed to identify the offending piece of DNA that enables these mosquitoes to to carry diseases, and then they're able to snip it out and insert a new sequence which prevents the mosquitoes from spreading diseases. They've even been able to to insert changes that will, will make the mosquitoes only produce males, which means that it doesn't take too long and they're not able to reproduce, the population itself would, would collapse. And here's the, and I think, part of the scary thing. These changes that they make are, are reproducible at an incredible rate. The offspring of these altered mosquitoes, they bear the same, not only the same DNA modification, but they've been given a self-replicating gene drive, which means that they will consistently, in fact, 100%, they will produce the same thing after. It won't just kind of spread out to the population, you know, change here, change there, but they'll all produce the same thing. What does that mean? It means that uh, a change in a small population would then bring about, as these new sort of GMO mosquitoes, could potentially then take over a population, either changing the population so that it's no longer able to transmit diseases, or maybe even change it in such a way that they would die out and mass. Now, some of you are just shouting hallelujah right now, saying, yeah, bring it on. But it's pretty controversial, right? Some big questions are being asked. Things like, should geneticists be playing God this way? Are, are we making changes to the order of creation that we should never make? I mean, who knows the unintended consequences that could result from this kind of modification? But on the other hand, very seriously, Think about the people. Think about the babies or the children, the men and the women who suffer, suffer every day, many of them dying horrible deaths, around 1,000 people a day dying from malaria alone. And so is it worth the risk to make a change to a mosquito, for crying out loud, so that others can live? Because don't we care more for people than we do for mosquitoes? Yeah, we do. Well, there's some, there's some coffee break conversation for you this week. For free. And, and though the ethical conversation is important, we'll leave it for another time and maybe someone far more qualified than I am to talk about it. But you know what intrigued me about this story? Beyond the, the ethics and the science and the potential, which I did find very interesting. It's just the idea that a species could undergo a fundamental change that would then produce lasting change in others, as though they were now passing on a good infection rather than a deadly virus. That really caught me. Because isn't that exactly what happens to people who find Jesus and begin to let Jesus lead in their lives? Isn't that exactly what's happening in us as a church as we let the Holy Spirit splice new creation DNA into our gene sequence? Somehow, through some amazing work of God, the Holy Spirit comes and makes changes in us that are not only lasting, but changes in us that begin to spread, like, like a good infection that brings life to everyone that we touch. You know, I can see this happening everywhere I look. You know, five years ago, when I started here at Erickson Covenant Church, there were, there were people in our congregation, there were some of you who did not know Jesus, had never met Jesus, had never followed him. 
And I look out in our congregation here this morning at the first service across the board. I look out and I see men and women and children who did not realize, even a few years ago, did not realize how loved they were by God, did not realize that they'd been stamped in his image, didn't realize they'd been created for life and for freedom. I've seen men, I see men, men who just a few years ago couldn't have cared less about Sunday morning, about connecting with other Christians, about church, like, blah, boring, irrelevant. I'd rather do something else, anything else than that. But every once in a while, because they got enough pressure from someone, they would come. And I've seen a change. I've seen men begin to get excited about what God's doing in their lives. I've seen men all of a sudden realize, oh, I want to get in on what Jesus is doing in other people's lives. I want to see this church grow. I want to begin to give my gifts. I want to begin to give, oh, my goodness, financially. I want to begin to all of a sudden serve and see men and women and children come to know Jesus. And all of a sudden, guess what? They're passionate about the church. They're passionate about what Jesus is doing. As I look around, I see women who were super discouraged, women who didn't want to give anymore, women who had served and served and served, who are suddenly finding new energy for service. They're they're, they're beginning to realize that they can lead and love and mentor in ways that they had never realized before as they're growing, as they're following Jesus. I see whole families in our congregation who just three years ago did not know what Jesus had in store for them. And that somehow, because someone invited them, because they ran into one of you at a store, because somehow they, 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 they met you at an organization, somehow they received an invitation, they connected into the Erickson Covenant Church, and they began to find life and grace and freedom. And now their whole family, their, their children, are experiencing, you know, right now, experiencing what God has for them, and they're discovering that there's new life in Jesus right here. And that's just happened in the last five years. This has been going on in this church for over 75 years. It's been going on in multiple churches here in the valley. It's been going on in the larger church for centuries and for millennia. I look around, I see life spreading, like a a good virus from person to person to person. It's like new creation is being implanted into our DNA, and then families are being restored, and the poor are being cared for, and the forgotten are being included. Those who are hurt are being healed. Youth are coming to know Jesus and even seniors too, against all odds. And together we're becoming God's people for the world. Not for ourselves, but for the world. I love this. It's why we get up in the morning. You know that as followers of Jesus. It's what we pray for. It's why we give. It's why we serve. We want to see lives changed by Jesus. But if you ever ask yourself, why? Like, why is this happening? Why is the good news spreading? Why are people finding and following Jesus? Why are lives being changed? Why is the church getting stronger? Why is the message of Jesus getting out there? Why are people discovering against all odds, against everything they'd ever heard or thought of, that they have a divine purpose, that they've been created in the Father's image and they've been destined for a greatness that is unimaginable in Christ? Why is it happening? It's happening because of what Jesus promised he would do. And Jesus doesn't back down from his promises. When he makes a promise, he makes good on it. He never reneges. He never pulls back. He never says a little later, oh, that was a dumb idea. I'm going to move on to something else. That's not Jesus. Jesus made a promise that he would do something in us as his people, something that would blow all of our categories, something that would take us to places we never dreamed of going and change the world, world, change us 
in ways that we never could have imagined. Where do I get that? Well, right at, back at the early part of the story, right, right back at the start of this little community of Jesus' followers, right before Jesus left, he made them a promise. It's found in the fifth book of the New Testament called the book of Acts. And it's, it's kind of the story of these early followers. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus makes a promise. Here it is. I want you to listen for it. It'll be on the screen. He says this to these early followers. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And then, he, and then he, he starts with their hometown, Jerusalem. He says it's going to spread from your hometown, Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, which are like the surrounding area, but also includes a bit of a cross-cultural thing. And then to the ends of the earth. What's the promise Jesus makes? When the Holy Spirit comes and you get power, you will be my witnesses. You will spread the good news about me everywhere. And in the story of these first followers of Jesus, that's exactly what we see happen. You know, in chapter 1 of Acts, the promise is given. In chapter 2, the promise is fulfilled. As the Holy Spirit comes on these, earth, these early followers, as, as, as they receive power, they immediately, through their worship, through their words, and through their lives, they immediately bear witness to who Jesus is, and the net result is incredible. In their case, right off the bat, thousands of people come to know Jesus. Thousands of people bow their knee. Thousands of people are baptized and enter into this family of God. And it just goes on from there, from person to person, from merchant to laborer to slave to soldier to master, from family to family to family. The good news starts leaping across language barriers, starts leaping cultures. It starts moving from land to sea to land to sea, nation to nation. The good news infection spreads all in fulfillment to the promise that Jesus made. You will be my witnesses. Good news spreads. Lives are changed. Whole families are transformed. People who run to get away from God are suddenly turning around and being baptized. Men who'd ignore every opportunity are surprised by grace. Women who'd forgotten freedom, who never even knew what it was, are released into new life. And the rest of the book of Acts, just a little reading tip for you, the rest of the book of Acts reads like a catalog, a chronicle of God's faithfulness. He made this promise, and now watch it be fulfilled. As, as, as the gospel goes into, into this community and people come to know Jesus, promise is fulfilled. As all of a sudden somebody gets in a boat and they go to another country, promise fulfilled. As a family hears about Jesus and they come and say, what do we need to do to be saved? Promise fulfilled. As this gospel news is going out, the promise is being fulfilled. And the story continues, right? Beyond the last chapter in Acts, beyond the borders of the Roman world, spreading down through time and generation to generation, through seismic cultural shifts, there were God's people, empowered by God's Spirit, continuing to live by the Spirit and in His power, witnessing to Jesus and spreading the good news. When the Holy Spirit came, something in the DNA was changed. New creation had been inserted. And the good news through, this, through these people going everywhere spread like a life-giving virus. And that's what's happening here today. Happening here in us as the church. The promise that Jesus made in Acts, the promise that He made to those first Christians that still holds true today. Jesus is still just as keen to see lives changed today as he was back then. He's just as keen to see the promise he gave fulfilled in us as a church as he was in that church in Jerusalem. He's just as keen today, just as committed. Jesus fulfills his promise to make us his witnesses. 
and lives change, lives are changed as a result. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus. I, I, I want you to look around and see that this is what's happening here in us as a church. What's happening in us and through us, it's, it's what Jesus wants to continue doing in us. And we stand at the beginning of another ministry year. There's lots going on. Jesus wants to keep doing what he's been doing, but I think even more. I think Jesus looks at us as a community and says, you know what? This is awesome. And I love the fact that there's been families and there's been men and there's been women and there's been children who've been coming to know me. But guess what? Jesus says, I want more. I want to see more men discover who I am. I want to see more women following. I want to see more children coming to know the Father who loves them. So my question is, can you see it? Can you imagine it? Can you even do this? Can you imagine for a moment that we will stand here next year, or maybe even just in June. In June, we'll gather, and you will be able to look around this room and see people in this community who, as of this morning, do not know Jesus, do not know his grace, and do not know his forgiveness, who do not know they have a divine purpose, who do not know that Jesus is after them. They'll be here a year from now because Jesus has promised to fulfill in us what he said he would do. Can we imagine that? Can we imagine youth who are rescued out of self-hatred? Can we imagine families who, who, are, who have been hiding in a life of secrecy or a life of shame? Can we imagine seniors who've run away from Jesus their whole lives and now in the final moments of their lives discovering that there is grace that can cover it all and they can give testimony like Terry did. Look at someone in the eyes and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I wish I'd done it sooner. You should do it now, too. By the Spirit of God, we can be and see that kind of change happen. Your friends, people you go to school with, people you work with or connect with, imagine them being released, being healed, being changed by the grace of Jesus. That is what Jesus is all about. Because it's what Jesus is all about, it's what we're all about as his church, as the Erickson Covenant Church, is why we do what we do. It's why we put money and energy into children's ministry. It's why we gather to worship. It's why we, we get together around God's word. It's why we challenge one another. It's why we reach out. We want to see people find and follow Jesus. Well, what, what can we do? Jesus has promised to do this. He wants to keep doing it. What can we do to partner? What, what, what can we do to respond? How can we position ourselves so that we're ready to receive the people that Jesus wants to bring? How can we, can we position ourselves so that we're able, as, as a community and as, as families, as, as followers of Jesus, we're able to receive, we're able to step in, we're able to help? How, how can we do that? I think we can break it down to this statement. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us into intentional relationships. Let me break that down a little further. First, we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us. I think one of the challenges that faces us every fall is we have to decide what it's going to be all about. And what I want to challenge you to think about is this. How are you going to make connection with the Spirit, letting the Spirit lead us in community, how are you going to make that connection a priority this year? Gathering to worship once a week so that we can remember that our life does not consist of this or that or this, this concern we carry or, or this financial pressure or, or this, this thing that's happening in my family or this thing that those are important. 
But we can gather and see Jesus and gather with the community and remember that there is more to life. There's the kingdom of God. There are lives being changed. And as I fix my eyes on Jesus and I fix my eyes and let the Holy Spirit work in me, he can change my heart. He can, he can lead us as a community. So how are you going to do that this year? Maybe signing up for a connect group. Of course, it'll be a big one for us as we let the, the word of God seep into our hearts and, and actually fill us and change our minds. But the question really is, is, is bigger than that, is how are you going to do it? How are you going to let the Holy Spirit lead you? That's where it starts. We don't go out there and just force witness. We let the Spirit lead us. We let the Spirit empower us. So how are we going to make the connection with the Spirit, the connection with Jesus in community, how are we going to make that a priority so that we are empowered as his witnesses? The second is that the Spirit will lead us into intentional relationships. I believe that's true. That as the Spirit fills us, then (laughs) the promise will be fulfilled. We'll begin to see the the relationships we're in in a different way. We'll begin to look at our neighbor differently. We'll begin to see the kid who sits us next in class differently. You know, I want to, I want to, most of us are followers of Jesus are here today, and and, and today some of you aren't. And I want to tell those of you who aren't, uh, following Jesus yet that I'm thrilled you're here and all everything we're all about is helping you take that next step in your spiritual journey but for just a moment I want to talk to those of us who say I'm a follower of Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus you have been commanded to make disciples it's a command it's an actually obedience thing every single one of us is not just an option it's not something you can take or leave It's not something that a few people do or the elite do or the super knowledgeable do. It's certainly not something that only the pastor does or only the staff do or only those extroverts and all the rest of us introverts can stand around and pray for them. I don't know. I'm not picking on the introverts. Okay, I was picking on the introverts a little bit, but yeah. Yes. And so so it's, it's not that. It's every Christian, every follower of Jesus, every single one of us, and as a community, we've been commanded to make disciples. Now, how that happens is different. Like, according to gifting and relationships, I get all that. But what isn't up for grabs is that we, you know, we can sort of take or leave this whole disciple-making thing. We have been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples, or as we kind of call it around here, to help people find and follow Jesus. Wherever they're at, far away, close up, already following Jesus, we are commissioned to help each other find and follow Jesus, to make disciples. The question is, how are we going to do that? We have to let the Holy Spirit lead us into intentional relationships. For some of us, that intentional business is the challenge for us because we're in lots of relationships. But for some reason or another, we have never allowed the Spirit to lead us with intentionality. Do you know that you have friends that are one invitation away from joining you at church? I'm just one invitation away. Some of them you've already asked before and you think I can't ask them again. They're one invitation away from joining you here. And I'm not saying that's a magic pill, but I am saying the people who come and connect in this community, what I've been noticing the last number of years is that this has been one of the doors they've entered. This has been one of the places. This has been a significant opportunity for people to find and follow Jesus. They've connected here. And you've got friends who are one invitation away now i realize you might have other friends who they aren't ready for that let the spirit lead you into intentional relationship with them maybe you just need to pray pray 
pray for them. Maybe that's all you can do right now. Maybe you need to just step into their, their life and their situation and just care for them. But let it be intentional. Let the Spirit lead you into intentional relationships. So, big question as we end today. Who are you going to be intentional about this year? Who is the Holy Spirit leading you to be intentional? What's their name? Where do they live? Now, some of us probably can identify that person already. Some of us don't. We don't know. But every one of us should be able to identify real people in our lives that we are being intentional about helping them find and follow Jesus. Whatever that looks like for them. Because we want to do what is helpful, right? Every one of us should be able to name people that we are being intentional with. And of course it includes our kids. It includes people here in this community. But it also includes people in our work life or at school. It includes people that we have coffee with or golf with or do things with. Friends, to let the Holy Spirit lead us into intentional relationships means that we need to know who is it, Jesus, that you're calling me to help find and follow you. Those are the two big questions I want to leave with you today. How are you going to make connection a priority this year and who is the Holy Spirit calling you into intentional relationship with? My heart for this church is that we would be open to receive what Jesus wants to do in us. Because Jesus is on the move. Lives are being changed. And when Jesus looks into this year, he knows the men and the women and the children that he is hoping that we can bring into our community this year. And I, for one, am very excited about that. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful that you've called us to follow you, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. That you have done something in us. You've brought us to new life, to create new creation. You've done something in us that, that not only alters us, but, but has given us the power by your Spirit to bring life to others. And I just ask that we as your church, as your people, would be ready to receive all that you have for us. That we would let go of anything that stands in our way, any idols of money or, or career or, or even family, things that we've misplaced ahead of you. That we would love you first and let the Spirit lead us into the kind of relationships that change lives. Thank you for what you have done in us as a church. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for the lives that have been changed and the families that have been transformed. And thank you, thank you, thank you that you are good for your promises and you will continue to do in us what you've promised to do. We are ready and open for all that you have. In your name we pray. Amen.